This podcast was produced in Melbourne on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land. I'm Matilda Lloyd and this is The Kicker, a weekly podcast bringing you stories from Australia's newest journalists. It's been four years since Australians resoundingly voted yes to whether same-sex couples should be allowed to marry. The law was passed in a moment that signified our shifting values around sexuality, relationships and humanity. But how much has really changed? And what has been the impact for Australian kids during their formative years? Today, we're discussing sex education in schools and how it impacts LGBTQ youth. Sex Ed and the Queer Community. Just a warning, this episode discusses themes that may be difficult for some listeners. I'm joined by reporter Olivia Condos, who will tell us more. Hi, Olivia. Thanks for joining me. No worries. It's my pleasure. The passing of the Marriage Equality Bill in 2017, legalising same-sex marriage in Australia, was such a momentous event for LGBTQ plus people. But it feels like ever since then, there's been so many setbacks for the community. Can you explain what's been happening, Olivia? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, same-sex marriage becoming legal in Australia was certainly a massive milestone that was absolutely worth celebrating. What a day. What a day for love, for equality, for respect. Australia has done it. But it didn't signal the end of issues of exclusion and discrimination for the LGBTQ plus community. An example of this was the pushback against the exclusion of the queer community in the census this year. The census is coming this August. Remember, your answers don't just make statistics. They help build a better future for all of us. So the issue with the census was... In November 2018, the ABS released to the public that they'd identified eight new potential topics for the 2021 census, based on feedback from Australians. Two of these were non-binary sex and or gender identity and sexual orientation. The process for adding new questions to the census is very, very lengthy. And in 2019, the possibility of questions on gender identity and sexual orientation were ditched. The ABS cited the main reasoning was that they risked too much public backlash, despite acknowledging the need for the data. It was progress to have a non-binary sex option, but overall, the LGBTQ plus community was once again excluded. When it comes to sex, there'll be a choice of male, female and non-binary. But some LGBTQI activists argue that still doesn't go far enough and the 2021 census is, they say, discriminatory. Public figure and LGBTQ plus activist Courtney Act was the face of the Equality Australia campaign that called out this exclusion. For gender and sexuality to not be included in this census is just a bit peculiar. I mean, it's 2021. We've got to move with the times, people. I know the UK and New Zealand have got questions in their census about gender and sexuality, but still Australia does not. So this whole issue was off the back of another blow to the community, which happened last year, which was the Religious Discrimination Bill being introduced into Parliament. Equality Australia CEO Anna Brown was one of the many vocal dissenters of this bill. The bill has dangerous provisions that actually give a licence to discriminate to religious organisations and people. 
It's quite surprising to me that religious discrimination would be a thing in Australia. Where did this come from? Yeah, it is surprising, Matilda. So basically, this bill was actually born off the back of the marriage equality bill, which saw many churches seeking the legal right to refuse to marry same-sex couples and religious schools seeking the right to fire LGBTQ plus teachers on religious grounds. It was highly, highly controversial. Fairfax has obtained a leaked copy and they're reporting that under these proposed changes, religious schools would be able to turn away gay students and teachers at the school gate. It's a controversial move. Another one was introduced by One Nation into New South Wales Parliament in September of last year. And it basically sought to stop children from learning about gender identity and fluidity at school, veiled as parental rights. The One Nation Party were strong supporters of the bill, including MP Mark Latham. The purpose of this parental rights bill is to legislate these two decisions. To outlaw gender fluidity teaching, course development and teacher training in the New South Wales education system and to reassert the rights and roles of parents in the moral, ethical, political and social development of their children. This was one of multiple conservative-leaning pieces of legislation that has recently targeted the way LGBTQ plus topics are handled with children in schools. A catalyst for this was the establishment of the Safe Schools program in Victoria in 2010, which was designed to ensure schools are safe places for all students, including LGBTQ plus young people, and are free of discrimination. It sparked a lot of moral panic in parents and politicians around the country. The education of young Australians on LGBTQ plus issues in schools and more broadly sex education in schools across the country is something that is an ongoing issue for the queer community. There was a report that came out of Western Sydney University in June 2021 that was titled Free to Be Yet that found some pretty shocking stats on how many young people are still struggling with discrimination at school. The findings of the study were covered by multiple media organisations, including the ABC. New research has found that almost all Australian LGBTQ plus high school students hear homophobic language at school. The Western Sydney University study found almost 30% of respondents said they had either witnessed or been the victims of physical harassment targeted towards gay, lesbian and bisexual students. So how exactly does sex education work in Australia? Can you break this down for me, Olivia? Yep, I sure can. So Australian schools have a national curriculum to follow. It's a general set of guidelines and education is actually the responsibility of the states and territories. So what is actually taught in the classroom or in each school varies a lot around the country. And there's also variation between the different types of schools. So there's government schools, religious schools and independent or private schools as well to think about. And additionally, in Victoria, we also have government policy that states that the teaching of consent in all government schools in an age appropriate way from foundation to year 12 is mandatory. And in addition to that, schools must support and respect sexuality diversity. But that is only for government schools and it's not necessarily monitored. So really, each state and territory can do what they want and develop their own version of the national curriculum. And then private and religious schools will do their own thing again. So there are massive discrepancies for young people across Australia. 
I spoke with Dr. Debbie Ollis from Deakin University, who specializes in sexuality education with a particular focus on teacher practice and professional learning in the area of gender and sexual diversity. Here's what she had to say about Australia's national curriculum. It's very generic. If you are an experienced a curriculum developer or a very experienced sexuality and relationships education teacher, you can easily see how issues of LGBTIQ plus are clearly able to be addressed in an inclusive way, but it's not explicit. I also spoke to Tamsin Griffiths, a Melbourne teenager, on her experiences of sex education in school. The only time that they mentioned anything to do with non-heteronormative relationships was when we were talking about STDs in one of our lessons and like how to protect against them. There was a one-liner from my teacher about how dental dams could be used in gay sex as prevention, but he didn't like go into any explanation on how that would go about or anything like that. So in many schools, there isn't much scope for diversity in what's taught. But Dr. Ollis said one of the main reasons for this is there is not enough professional development on inclusive sexuality and relationships education for teachers in our country. And this is a major problem for Australia. Look, and it's been 20 years nearly since there's been any Commonwealth professional development in this space. Obviously, states and territories may provide some professional development, but there's been no national approach to providing professional development in sexuality education. So it appears the Australian sex education system is pretty dated, with a focus on heteronormativity. Can you tell me what kind of ripple effect this may have on an LGBTQ plus student moving into their adult years? Yeah, so it can really spark a lot of problems. Education or lack of education can really define a lot of our lives and set us up for our future. Here's Tamsin again on her thoughts on this. If sexual education was updated to be inclusive and actually educational, providing information on a range of topics, destigmatizing mental health more, especially to do with the LGBTQI plus community, educating the general population on like correct terminology and just explaining what like identities are and how gender and sexuality are two completely different things and explaining all of that would assist on making the LGBTQI plus community not feel as excluded in society. So if education isn't inclusive, young kids don't have the chance to understand the differences between them in our heteronormative society. LGBTQ plus young people suffer for this. The report that I mentioned earlier from Western Sydney University found that 9 in 10 LGBTQ plus students say they hear homophobic language at school. And one in three hear it almost every day. Only 6% of students said adults always intervene to stop this language. Those statistics are alarming. So what flows on from this? Yeah, they certainly are alarming, Matilda, and there can be quite a few problems that come from these issues within our schools. Poor mental health is super prevalent for LGBTQ plus youth. Bullying at school or beyond school is a serious issue and can contribute to this. LGBTQI plus Health Australia does an annual snapshot report of mental health and suicide prevention statistics for LGBTQ plus people. 
young people from the queer community are at least two times more likely to have been diagnosed or treated for a mental health condition in the past 12 months, demonstrating a significant disparity with the general population. And sadly, LGBTQ plus people are more likely to attempt suicide, with young people being five times more likely and young transgender people 15 times more likely. So, school is arguably a formative time for everyone. Not having an inclusive space and learning for our LGBTQ plus can lead to a lot of harm. Dr. Ollis said the repercussions are clear. Alienation, isolation, exclusion. We know the implications of all those things on young people. We know the impact on not only our physical well-being from issues like depression, but, you know, self-harm and, and suicide. Okay, all things considered, Olivia, how can we combat these issues regarding inclusive sexual education in the Australian school system? It is a big issue to tackle. The bureaucracy of government policy and legislation is one large part of the issue with Australia's sex education. And again, more professional development available for individual teachers on inclusive sex and health education on a state and federal level would be very beneficial. But another approach is maybe how we rethink inclusivity. Inclusive shouldn't mean that we have a specific isolated segment for one group of people, but rather we should include the experiences of all young people within the full scope of sexual gender and ability diversity in every area of education. Here's what Dr. Ollis had to say about this. Something like puberty, where there's this science assumption that we all go through a particular sequence of development. Now, what if you're an intersex kid? And you've got testes and breasts or you're never going to menstruate. So it's absolutely crucial that, you know, that the professional development is available for in-service teachers and pre-service teachers so that they can think about how do you teach that work in an inclusive way. There's also the divide between government and private schools, which poses another set of problems, as we mentioned earlier. Independent religious schools may not teach inclusive health education on religious grounds. Dr. Ollis had a recommendation for an approach for this, which was to centre the education around a topic that her research has shown is one of the top subjects that young people want to know about, which is love. I know some of the students I've taught, we've had to really work through, well, how can you do this work within your own moral and ethical framework? And you can start from love. I know that their core teaching of a lot of those religions is about love. So start there. Dr. Ollis said, above all, we need to listen to young people for guidance, especially within our schools. My experience of working with young people, young people are inclusive. It's not the young people. It's actually schools, our teachers and the structures. You know, so young people are there. Young people are extremely inclusive. And I think one of the positive things is about the young people listening to the young people and, you know, ensuring that the young people are some of our activists, that that they're helping schools to understand this work and, and how important it is to their wellbeing. Looking at the scope of issues that are currently impacting the LGBTQ plus community, what direction are we heading in? So 
I wish I had good news, but at the moment, I don't. Currently, the federal government is preparing to introduce the third draft of the Religious Discrimination Bill to Parliament later this year, and LGBTQ plus staff and students are fearing even worse treatment. It's unclear what revisions are being made at this stage, but multiple MPs have stated they are opposed to including the so-called Israel Folau law that would give legal protection to statements of belief in the name of religion. And earlier this month, Mark Latham, again, held a further committee into his anti-trans education bill, which has made recommendations that are entirely harmful to young trans kids while threatening to out them to their parents. It's true that our anti-discrimination laws do work in positive ways in some situations, but are laws that give religious organisations and their schools exemptions from anti-discrimination legislation are still very harmful. The Age reported very recently on one teacher being sacked after she came out as gay, which in this country is totally legal. There is hope for positive change. The Western Sydney University report was very alarming and was reported on quite widely. So hopefully we will see some changes implemented out of that. And there was a lot of media coverage as well on the census issue. And hopefully we'll see changes for our next national census in 2026. It seems we have a lot to keep our eye on for the coming months. Thank you for joining me today, Olivia. My pleasure, Matilda. Thank you for having me. listening to The Kicker, brought to you by the RMIT Graduate Diploma in Journalism. For more in-depth stories, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time. For many females. They have to sacrifice having a family in order to progress their careers. So when your boss offers to pay for you to freeze your eggs, then you'd initially think it's a fantastic benefit. But is it? In this episode of The Kicker, we will explore the idea of workplaces paying for egg freezing and what impacts that will have on employees.